It's amazing how brilliant mankind is. We understand the physics of an expanding universe and the mysteries and the behavior of quarks. Don't ask me what they are. I read for a while to understand them. We know how to create custom genes. We can replace body parts and build robots. It is said that in the next decade, we will determine if humans or machines are better at making a medical diagnosis as more healthcare companies turn to AI for accuracy. With predictive algorithm, uh, algorithms, companies know what you are most likely to be interested in and buy. It's no accident that if you peruse a site, you'll get 20 things placed on your social media site for you to buy. Our knowledge of the universe continues to grow dramatically in every field imaginable except one. We don't understand supernatural evil, and we don't understand the fallen nature of man. Isn't that amazing? With our own hands, we have built the great paradox of humanity today. We're so smart that we understand just about everything except ourselves. Jesus had the power over evil to change the life of the most lost person and to remake us as we were intended by our Creator to become. As we show up here at the shores of the Sea of Galilee and see Jesus coming over to the Gentile side of the ocean, the Gerasenes in that country, we see a situation of cultures colliding like never before. And when I see that, I ask this question, where, where are we in this story? What does this have to do with us? There's a word that reoccurs in this account over and over again, and, and Mark seems to use it again and again. It talks about the urgency of what's going on, how quickly people were desiring to know what was happening. And I want to look at this and think for a little bit about what is going on here. And even though this is an ancient story, it has a lot to do with the current world we live in and how mixed up we are about who we are and how the more we focus on other things, we tend to let ourselves fall apart. Notice that the demon's purpose was to avoid ultimate judgment. They begged Jesus not to send them to judgment. You know, the reality there is Jesus made that trip six or seven miles across the Sea of Galilee. It's been a rough storm. He was so tired he slept in part of the trip. He gets off the boat, and then immediately, immediately, this demon-possessed man comes up to him and begins a conversation. Think about that. Think about the reality of what is going on there. I want you to think about demons for a little bit and what is going on in this picture. Demons have supernatural strength. We should not be surprised by that. In 2 Kings 19, we know the story of one angel, the angel of the Lord, killing 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Angels were not to be trifled with. They were powerful, and they were unbelievable. But this angel was, I mean, this demon that was an angel that had followed after Satan, was not just an ordinary demon. 
He said in his response to Jesus, My name is Legion, for we are many. It is said that there were probably at least a thousand demons possessing this man. Imagine the strength and the power and the authority that those demons had. No person could shackle them. Nobody could hold them back. They just stayed away. He was terrifying to that community. The people of the Gerasenes avoided this person and feared for their life. You know, demons try to destroy their host, and I'm amazed that this man had survived that long. That's what demons do. They destroy. One of the names of, of Satan is Abaddon, the destroyer, and that's what he's about. He wants to destroy us. He attacks us sometimes in a very subtle way, as he did Eve in the garden, and other times he attacks us bluntly and brutally, as in the case of this man. We've got to understand who Satan is and what his desires are so we realize what we're confronted with. Thirdly, they seek a home. These demons were most likely what we call territorial demons. They'd been assigned to this region. They were there basically to create mayhem and disaster for everybody there to remind them that Satan was in the world. And when Jesus responded to them and cast them into the swine and they ran off the hill, 2,000 of them, into the Sea of Galilee, they were set free. They no longer were in that territory. They were free to go where they wanted to. But notice this, the demons knew Jesus. They not only knew him, but in the King James, the statement is made like this, which is more accurate to the original writing. They said, you know, Jesus the Christ, or have you come to torture us before the time of judgment? Amazingly, they knew who he was, and they knew what he was about. The Pharisees didn't know that. The leaders of the Sanhedrin didn't know that. They didn't care about it. See, Jesus is known by many people. All you have to do is watch and read and understand. James 2.19 says even the demons believe that God is one and they tremble. What kind of person scoffs and denies who Jesus is? One who truly doesn't understand what he's about and what is coming down the road. But I want you to notice this in this story. It, it, it's so strange because in the midst of it, the man possessed there was confronted with a situation far beyond his ability. The demons didn't want to be tortured. <laughs> but notice this, the community wanted Jesus to leave. Once he had cast out these demons and they'd gone away, amazingly, what were they concerned with? the economic impact on their community. 2,000 livestock were dead. They were gone. Now, I don't want to get in an argument with a cattleman, let alone somebody that raises pigs, but 2,000 is a lot. And these people were thinking about what was going on, and they weren't concerned about that man. They were concerned about the condition of their welfare, forgetting that... 
a God that can cast out demons can do anything. And I look at the community pleading with Jesus to leave, and I believe that's kind of where we are today. The miracles and the the wonders of God do not limit us. They strengthen us. And yet we live in fear. Much of our prayer life is not about extolling the virtue and the majesty and the power of God. It's about, God, look, you know... I know you're sitting up there probably just reading something, but I'm in trouble and I need your help. A lot of our prayers about what we need as if somehow God isn't watching us. As if somehow He does not have a divine plan for our lives. As if somehow He needs our advice on what to do with mankind. This community was a lot like the world today. We want to consult and advise God what we should do. A problem comes up and we want to handle it in our own way. We don't believe that prayer is really the way to deal with it. No, I'll I'll pick up my phone, make a call. I'll write a letter. I'll, I'll, I'll get with that person and straighten them out. You know, it's amazing that when Jesus was in his passion and he was standing there before, the governor of the whole region, and the governor who was a pagan man who who ethnically was a Jew but had sold out to the Roman Empire, and as he stood before him and he looked at Herod, he never answered anything that was asked of him. Why? Why? Because Herod was not his judge. He would be Herod's judge one day. We've got to remember that. And we've got to remember that there's nothing for us to fear. The only thing we need to be concerned with is, are we connected rightly with God? Do we hear His voice? Do we listen to Him? And do we obey Him? The community was messed up. They wanted things to go right. I'm sure that they looked in the Wall Street Journal of their day and checked out what was going on on the stock market with pork bellies. And suddenly, things were looking bad. The economy was going the wrong way. Have you noticed today on our stock markets, very often, they're very nervous and paranoid. They ought to be. They're not going to last forever. Believe me, they're not going to be in heaven. The day will come that material things won't matter. Substance will not be a concern of ours. We won't even worry about daylight savings time in heaven because it will never get dark. Isn't that wonderful? The final defeat of daylight savings time will come in heaven. I can't wait. Now, what was the problem here? They looked at the man in his right mind and didn't even appreciate that. Sitting at Jesus' feet, cleaned up and everything was going right. The man who gashed himself with rocks and ripped chains apart. 
And they couldn't handle that. He was, he was the town crazy man. He was the one that everybody was afraid of. You didn't dare let your children out in that area. He was their regional mascot. People would point to him and say, boy, did he do something bad. Don't be like him. But I want to think of him toward the end of this. The healed man found his true purpose. In the midst of the panic, in the midst of all of that, he was the one person that knew what to do. He fell at the feet of Jesus and remained there. He saw the reality of what had happened. He remembered where he had been and what had gone on. Who cares what caused him to be possessed? Now he was set free. And he sat there and wanted to absorb everything he could of Jesus. He had a purpose in life. He had found a direction. He had been set free and truly understood where he was going. Now, he had one bit of confusion. And we can't overlook this. He wanted to go with Jesus when he prepared to leave. Now, there are a lot of folks that are like that. They'd rather come sit in church all day long, talk about Jesus. They'll go to seminars and Bible studies. They try to stay in the Word all the time. But with what they take in, nothing is ever given out. They don't find an opportunity to share their faith. They just stay with a group of like-minded people, and they feel comfortable. When I was at Mercer University many years ago, we had a student there, and I thought I was the oldest student in school. I started in undergraduate studies at age 27. This guy was 36, nine years older than me. I asked one of the deans one day, uh, Gene Hendricks, I said, Gene, how long has he been in the school? She said, I don't know. He was here when I came. He has been in this school, she said, at least 12 years. And I said, can he graduate? And she said, no, he keeps changing his major. And they called him the, the, the ultimate professional student. I don't know what happened to him. I don't even remember. I went on uh, to my master's study and then on to my doctoral studies. He may still be at Mercer. Who knows? But he was a lot like Christians today that stay in the Word and never produce anything from it. If you know Jesus, you want to share with others about Him. It's not enough just to talk with friends and like-minded people. You've got to wander out there into the wilderness. You've got to get out there where you're alone, where you'll be challenged, where people may question what you believe. The reality is only out there do you grow. Only out there will you mature. Only, only out there will you find out who you, you really are. Many people want to remain at the feet of Jesus. But at some point, we have to go out and share and make a difference. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I'd love to have 10,000 people in this church every Sunday. Don't know where we'd put you, but I'd love to have that. But I'd much rather have a church that is actively using what God has given them on a weekly basis to make a difference in a powerful way. I hadn't been here long when 
Noopy Cosby was ordained a deacon here, and one of the conversations that Noopy and I have off and on, we'll finish it one day, is about servant leadership. It's fascinated him for a long time, and, and we've shared studies on that. Servant leadership is, is the term that was coined some years ago, to, and it's identified primarily in the, in the uh, secular world by a Christian person, Jesus himself. He was a leader of the disciples in the Christian community by being a servant. He wrapped a towel around himself. He knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. He demonstrated to them the importance of baptism by being baptized. He understood that you must model behavior for people to learn it. And the question I ask today is, in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of all that is going on in your life, in your supreme panic, do you lose purpose? Do you lose focus with where you're going? Don't allow that to happen. This man was possessed of many demons, yet when his purpose was set, he never lost it. We have to be a people that are willing to do that daily. Whatever crisis comes your way, find it. In fact, I'll tell you this. I read this the other day, and I thought it was wonderful. One of the best ways that you can get in line with God early in the morning is to do this. Listen to me. Turn your phone off and listen to Him. I've got an iPhone. It makes all sorts of noises. And uh, I know what each one of them means. You do too. You know whether you're getting a, ta- a text or an email or, or, or one of your social media sites is sending something into you. Yeah, we all know that. But do we know when God is nudging us and saying, that person over there needs to hear about Jesus? Or they say, zip it. Now, spiritually speaking, the Holy Spirit sometimes tells you that. Zip it. Just don't say anything. There's a time you don't speak. Jesus remains silent at some of the most amazing times. And sometimes Christians have an opinion about everything. Do you hear the Holy Spirit saying, leave it alone. Trust me. I can handle this. Oh, dear people, we've got to hear His voice. We've got to. In a world that's speaking to us in all sorts of code and sounds and noises, we've got to learn to be still and know that He is God. And I pray today you'll do that. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that your holy word challenges us to be more than we've ever been before and to trust you because nothing will surprise you or catch you off guard. Everything, everything that that touches us, you are prepared for, Lord. In fact, the reality is in your word we understand that you can take those things that would seek to hurt us and you can cause them to help us, in fact, benefit us. And because of that, we trust you, and we love you, and we want to obey you. And I pray right now we would hear your voice, and we would submit. Father, if there's someone here within the sound of my voice, and they desire to have a relationship with you, 
I pray that you would speak to them even now. Give them an understanding of your will and call them safely to you. Lord, if there's someone here even now that has a decision to make, I pray that you would speak to them and allow your Holy Spirit to guide them. And I pray that they'd obey. Whether that decision is to accept the gift of salvation that's so freely offered, or it is to come forward and join this church, or to be baptized, or, or simply to be closer to you, Lord. May your Holy Spirit speak, and may someone hear. And we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.